centrality of the cross. Okay, they came to me. This is kind of a short notice class. They came to me just a little while ago and asked if I'd be willing to teach this time. And I said yes because um, I love teaching at Acts. It's one of my favorite things. But um, I'm a little apprehensive because I really don't feel qualified to do the cross justice <laughs> and to really be able to communicate all that it is because it's much bigger than what's than what it's done in me. And um, I just want to be able to you know, properly communicate it. So I'm excited and looking forward to it. I'm trusting Jesus. I am trusting the Holy Spirit to speak to you because I just don't feel like I just have it all together in this. But Jesus is still going to be glorified, and I'm excited about it, and I am looking forward to learning as much as you guys are. So, um, so um, it will be an adventure. What I have written on the board here, I'm going to walk just a couple paces this way. What I have here on the board are, is your homework assignment for this for this class. <clears throat> Generally, most of you who have been in my classes before know that most of my classes have hefty homework throughout the term. Um, can we do this after so it's not a distraction? That's okay. No problem. Um, is usually a pretty hefty um, homework load, but this time you do not have a hefty homework load, okay? And I know that that doesn't matter because you're hungry for Jesus, and you would be giving yourself a hefty homework load in the scriptures, even if you didn't have a homework load in any assigned projects for any of your classes, because you love Jesus and want to know him for yourself. And you're not religious and are satisfied with people telling you what's in the Bible. You want to know for yourself. So you'd be in there anyway, I know. But nevertheless, because we are a Bible school, it is our responsibility to make sure that you are exposed not only to the scriptures, but to men and women of God other than people here who know the Lord. Okay, so this reading assignment is going to serve two purposes. It's going to um, be another teacher for you. These people know the Lord, and the cross for them was not a theology. It was a daily reality. So these people who write these books know of what they speak. And also it's going to open you to people besides people in this Bible school and at this church fellowship, okay? And you need to know other people who know Jesus besides, you know, the people that you see on, you know, Tuesday through Friday. You need to be exposed to people who know Jesus. So this is your opportunity for that. I have actually, believe it or not, only two books listed on the board. And you are going to pick one of the two. You have a choice in reading. You will read one book for this class, and you have a choice. The first book is titled The Centrality of the Cross. Easy enough. It's just like the name of the class. And it was written by Jesse Penn Lewis. Okay? The name of the other book, actually, the other book has two names. So I put both titles up here because if you're looking for it to purchase it for your own library, you would want to search under both names. Okay? Um, the modern name that you will find it under is The Reality of the Cross of Christ, and the author is T. Austin Sparks. When it was first published way back when, it was published under the title The Centrality and Universality of the Cross. It is the exact same book. They just changed the title. I don't know why they did, why they did that, but they did. Okay. So, I don't know. Perhaps. So anyway, you, your job is to, uh, your homework for this class would be to read one of these two books, okay? I will tell you that I can highly recommend both of them. I'm moving back now. Highly recommend both of them. Um, you ought to read both eventually. I will just tell you that. because Not because that's what we do around here. You read certain people. I'm saying that because these books are fantastic. They, you're looking for something that just says it. These books just say it. 
They say it. They explain the ramifications of the far-reaching work of the cross. And if there's anything that you would want in your personal library that you could refer to again and again, these two books are a must. I brought them with me today. I have them both here. Here's the Jesse Penn Lewis book, and here's the T. Austin Sparks book. So if you want, after class, to thumb through and decide which one seems a little more appealing to you, that's something that maybe the, that you'd like to read for this in this three-month term, then um, by all means, take a look at them. I will tell you this. Only the T. Austin Sparks book is in our library. Okay, It is in there. But if you're going to use that book and choose not to purchase a book of your own, then you need to leave it in the library so that everyone can use it, everyone who wants to do that. Okay? Um, <clears throat> these books can be purchased online. They can be purchased at Christian bookstores. They can be ordered from Christian bookstores usually. Um, if you have any problems with it, just come see me and I'll give you some you know, helps on how to do that. But they are not expensive books because the ministries who are publishing them are doing it as a ministry and not as a profit. So it is not a large financial investment. Okay? And you will... Um, enjoy having it on your shelf. I'm sure you'll come back to them again and again. I know personally I have come back to these books many times and read them multiple times. And they've spoken to me anew and afresh as I've read them through the years. So anyway, it w- it's not just a busy assignment. It will be time well spent. So that will be your um, assignment for this term. You have until finals week to read the book. So whatever day we would happen to have a test, I don't think we're going to have a test in this class, but that would be the due date. Whatever your final date would be for this class, that will be the due date for having your book read. So that gives you about two and a half months to find a book and read it. And they are very thin, so even if you have to order and wait a week or two for it to come in the mail, you still have plenty of time to get through it. You're not going to be swamped. Okay. And um, they are not scanning material. You don't scan these books. <laughs> like you would scan a really good novel. This is, um, this is reading every word material because it's very, it's very um, meditative. You will, there's a lot to it, and you're going to want to chew on what's being shared. So please don't wait to the last night before it's due to read it because you will miss, and that will just defeat the whole purpose of the assignment. The assignment is not just to give you something to do. The assignment is that you immerse in the reality of Christ, and it's hard to do that if you're just trying to live up to a standard by the law because you're supposed to do it, so you're just doing it at the last minute. Anyone know what I'm talking about? I know what I'm talking about because I've done it. So um, I'm a great teacher because I know how not to do it. (laughs) And why I realize that um, usually the burnt hand teaches best, meaning we all need to kind of figure it out for ourselves. If you can take free advice, this would be some. You know, just don't wait to the last minute to do it. You know, dive in and enjoy it instead of making it a a burden because you put it off and you're just doing it because you're supposed to. Okay, so as far as that goes, then pretty much... um, this is a lecture class. This is not going to have a lot of homework. Like some of my classes, you can redeem yourself, you know, because I give you so much homework that if you miss one, it's no big deal. But um, as far as I know, there won't be a test. If that changes, I'll let you know. But if there is a test, it will not be a huge test. This is a sharing Jesus class as opposed to a homework class. So um, use these sessions maybe for a springboard into your own personal search. We will be discussing the cross of Christ in this class. So there will be, if not things said that you'll want to remember, perhaps passages of Scripture that are talking about the cross that you may want to jot down for even future searches or whatever. So having said that, that's all of the um, administrative stuff that I can think of before I start jumping in here. Um, oh, I'll say one more thing. If for some reason you're just so swamped, or so strapped for cash and just can't get a book or whatever, I will open my books for reading copies, but the catch is you will have to come to my house to read them because I'm not going to let them out of my sight. So <laughs> I will share, but only on my property. So you can come to my house and read it when I'm there. Yes, Amber.
Mm-hmm. That does count, and I thank you. Thank you for bringing that up. I really like reading circles. I feel like in some ways it actually may be more beneficial than reading by yourself because there's something that's more fun about doing something together, and um, there's something more fun about interacting with others and also just the creating the environment of the word together. So if you want to do that, please do. It will count. I will count that as having read the book. Um, of course, the idea would be that you would actually be you know seated in the room and paying attention, you know, but you would know in your heart whether or not you could count that as reading the book, right? <laughs> Whether or not you're paying attention. So, yes. And um, like I say, I don't really worry too much about being honest because I assume you guys are here because you want to be. It's not like, you know, junior high where you have to be there. You know, this is because you want to be. So I'm assuming you want to do it and that you want Jesus. And part of wanting Jesus is, you know, if you haven't done what you're supposed to do, then you don't want to get out of that because you want the Lord to be able to deal with you and form a son in you. So why would you lie at a place like this? <laughs> it would make absolutely no sense. So <laughs> what's that? Yes, there are better places to go lie if you want to lie, um, that you could get away with it and maybe get, you know, do something with it. I don't know, but it wouldn't be here. It would do you no good. Okay, so we're going to start on the centrality of the cross. What do we mean by the centrality of the cross? The centrality of the cross means how the cross is absolutely pivotal, foundational, and the beginning, the source for everything that is true of God as we know it. It is the beginning of the New Testament. It is our source as a believer. Its ramifications um, resound throughout history, even to this day. And it will continue resounding in the hearts and minds of every believer as long as they are alive on planet Earth and into the ages to come. It is everything to us as believers. Now, we may not understand that fully, but see, just because we don't know it doesn't mean it's not true, right? Okay, just because we can't count the stars in the universe doesn't mean they aren't there. Okay, our knowing it doesn't make it so. This is so. So the good news about the centrality of the cross is not we're trying to make, bring ourselves into a place where we're more committed to Jesus. Okay? The centrality of the cross is we are coming to see what is already true, and we could just fall into step with it. Praise the Lord. <laughs> That's why the New Testament is such good news. It's not something that we're trying to do or achieve. Okay, it is something that is already true and as exciting as it is when you get born again the first time, it is that new and fresh all the time as the Holy Spirit opens our eyes to the greatness of Christ and his cross. See, there was always a Jesus, amen, in the sense that there was always the son, the second member of the Trinity. But the cross, the cross is where history changes for God and man, both. Okay, and um. I know I'm, spe- I'm painting with a really broad brush here, and the idea of having multiple hours in class is that we are going to look at some specifics. Um, but I want to just say straight up that I believe that we are living in an age, a church age, in our particular time in history, that we have a crossless Christ. We have a Jesus who just likes us just the way we are. And he's going to walk around and do nice things for us, and he's going to help us be better people. And he's going to keep us from hurting. And he's going to do this for me. And he's going to do that for me. And he's going to help me realize all my gifts and my full potential. This is what is preached in most American Christian circles today. And it's a very comforting message because you are not challenged, only helped and assisted. And Jesus becomes your servant and all the resources of God are at your disposal so that you can be the best that you can be. The cross brings in a whole different element. 
The cross is one of the ugliest things that has happened on planet Earth. Uh, just, just in history, take the spiritual point out of it right now, just on a historical level, it was humanity at its worst. And I'm not talking about us being identified in Christ and who got put to death. I'm just talking about the, the circumstances of the day. What happened to Jesus brought out the worst in humanity. The mob scene, the false, the mock trial, the false accusers, the betrayal and selling out by one of his closest friends, the abandonment by the rest of his friends, okay? The smearing of his name, a reputation he's never gotten back. And this is all besides the physical um, breaking that happened to his body, which just by itself I couldn't personally even comprehend. I mean, I don't even know how he did it without passing out from the pain. Seriously. But just beyond that, think of what the cross... Think of what the cross did on a historical level. It made, it was a place of utter rejection. It was a place of unfairness. It was a place of intentional destruction. And I don't know how many of you have studied the historical bits of the Roman cross, but the cross was meant not only to kill somebody, because they could do that by chopping off people's heads, and the Romans did chop off people's heads to kill them. They reserved that merciful death for Roman citizens. Okay, they beheaded him because that was painless and quick. It didn't hurt. But the cross was meant to do more than just kill. It was meant to destroy on many, many different levels. And it wasn't just meant to destroy the physical body. It was meant to destroy that man's psyche. It was meant to destroy his sense of well-being. It was meant to destroy his sense of being right. It was meant to destroy his ideals. Whatever it was that he rebelled in against the Roman government, it was meant to destroy that. And forever, the, it was meant to destroy his pride It was meant to destroy his good name among his peers and family so that forever he would be associated with um, the most humiliating and rejecting form of death known to man at that time. Okay, it was was, um, calculated. It was not a death of passion, like a mob just... I mean, there was a mob element to the cross, but it wasn't just a mob beating a man to death in the streets. That's like an act of passion that just happens as a knee-jerk reaction. This was calculated and intentional. And it had been planned and plotted for a long time, not by the Romans, but by Jesus' own brethren. Okay. So the cross, just on a historical level, is extremely powerful just just if you're moved by the circumstances of it. Okay. We haven't even gotten to the spiritual ramifications of it yet. But if you can begin to just take a look at it from this point of view, because I want to be be able to break through um, the familiarity of how we approach the cross. And um, I don't know about you guys, I grew up in church, okay? And one of the hardest things that I have to do is to overcome my own views of what I think the scriptures mean. Whether that means what I grew up in or even being in this group for a a lengthy amount of time. We get used to catchphrases and we think we all know what it means, you know? And we go, oh yeah, the this, that, the other. Oh yeah, and I'll just throw out some terms, not that I have an axe to grind, but just as an example, lamb. We all know what that means. But do we know what that means? Or do we know what we think it means when someone says it? Because if we knew what it meant, would we not be transformed? No condemnation here. I'm just, I'm just challenging, just to open us, okay? What about, um, you know, I am crucified with Christ. Oh, yeah, we believe the cross around here. But if you haven't been transformed, what kind of knowing is it really? As we, you know, go, oh, yeah, yeah, I know what that means. Oh, yeah, good sharing, sister, good sharing, brother. I know what that means. Or, you know, bat the words about our, by ourselves. Um, and everywhere, I mean, any church group you're in, I'm not denying anyone's heart for Jesus here, okay? And I am not saying we don't love the Lord or we don't know the Lord. I believe that you're sitting here because already in some form or fashion, you do know the Lord. 
or you wouldn't be here because you've responded to him on a certain level. And you're here because you recognize, I know him, but I still need to know him. You know, I know him, but I still need to know him. But what I have found is me being the biggest enemy of myself is thinking that I know something that I don't, and I've got this picture in my head of what it all means. So what I'm trying to do here is not put anybody down or make anyone feel bad, although I know I, I speak very bluntly at times. What I'm trying to do is open us to the fact, let's break down some ideas and be open for the real ones because that's what we really want anyway. We don't want to hold If we knew they were you know, false or if we knew they were flimsy, we wouldn't hang on to them. But we want the real thing, and one of the ways to do that is to open up to it. So let's open up to it, you know, and let's look at this thing. You know, so many times in the church, and this isn't, kind of a strange picture. We say, Jesus died for my sins. And every person sitting here is born again and believes that Jesus died for your sins. You couldn't be born again if you didn't believe that. But how do we believe that Jesus died for our sins? Our basic idea of Jesus dying for our sins is the equivalent of some guy carrying a 50-pound sack of potatoes on his back. It was a really hard job, and he strained his back doing it. But it took a few days, but now his back is better, and we're all okay. And that's about the equivalent of what most believers think of when they think Jesus died for my sins. We don't realize the horrendous price that was paid. We don't realize, and not because we're malicious or uncaring, we just don't get it. It takes Jesus to get it. It takes the Holy Spirit to get it. So, um, but something much more happened, and we can just see that in the historical cross, in the, or should I say, any cross of Roman times. What happened at a cross of Roman times? Well, just kind of some of the things I just said. The body was crushed, you know, just mutilated, horrific inflicting horrific amounts of pain before they even went to the cross and then obviously suffering on the cross but also the shame of it and you know i don't know about you but there are a lot of people that would really rather risk human uh, physical pain discomfort than than prolonged shame and humiliation that hurts on the inside (laughs) way more than physical pain on the outside for many of us but there's that element there's the there's the idea that um your relatives and the legacy that you leave behind is one of, of dishonor and ignominy, ignominy, however you say that word. But a shameful death that leaves your reputation smeared and you will not be there. You cannot clear your name because once your reputation has gone, it's gone. It will always, your name will always be associated with a humiliating, um, undignified criminal's death. Okay. This is an aspect of the cross. These are things that never come back. Um, I'm jumping way ahead here, but I will say this. There is an element of the cross that we will be looking at where we bear Jesus' sufferings. And so what happens to him happens to us. Okay, And this is not for now, but just understand that there is an aspect of being conformed to the image of Christ where you bear the cross because you are the extension of of the Son of God in a situation. And so you're the one that gets hung up on the cross. And when those type of things happen, what gets lost doesn't come back. Okay. Jesus has scars in the resurrection. When he was raised from the dead, they could put their hand in his side. They could see the holes in his hands and feet. So resurrection isn't about everything's okay and it's all brand new and, you know, fresh skin like a newborn baby. And, you know, there are, there's a terrible price. And the person who dies on a cross is changed forever. They will never go back to being the way they were. Ever. Okay. Again, I'm not saying this stuff to freak anyone out or scare anybody or make anyone feel bad. I'm saying this because it's, we're here talking about the cross. And let's not talk in theories. Let's, let's say the real thing here, shall we? <laughs> um, 
Because theories are great and all, but until we see the, the reality of it, it serves as theories will serve either as a foundation for future understanding of the Lord or it can serve as a deception. And we just don't want deceptions. We want to say the real thing. So the cross, whenever the cross comes in, and we're talking about anybody, you are changed forever. You do not escape with a strained back or a sprained ankle. Okay, so, you know, this is a really silly example. The cross, if you are being dealt with the Lord about the cross, this is not what happens. was dealt with by the cross. Amen. <laughs> that person is basically unchanged. He got poked at a little bit. But that is kind of the human idea of what the cross is. If I'm being dealt with, it's just like this little thing's being picked at in me that has to change. And when that's changed, praise the Lord, now we go to another little thing and, you know, here comes the Holy Spirit with the, you know, cross mallet. It goes ping, 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 ping. You know, um, part of that's just ignorance. Because it takes the Holy Spirit to show us Jesus, and so we have our own assumptions. Part of it is that uh, the cross is the flesh's worst nightmare, frankly. Because when I said that, that certain things go away at the cross, that's very true. Certain things actually come to an end at the cross and never come back. Okay, And if you don't think that there is some resistance in anybody other than Jesus, well, he actually had some resistance too because he had Gethsemane, then um, you're as crazy as you look. Not really. Um, there's, um, the cross is um, incredibly destructive and incredibly life-giving. But it's never just a little dealing tool. Okay? It's never just a little dealing tool. And um, I realize that that can sound really scary. And like, oh, I can never do that. I can never do that. I promise you, it really isn't your worst nightmare. Your mind just thinks it is. It's really, you know, God doing you and the rest of the planet the biggest favor ever. You know, the cross, seriously. And beyond that, I mean, that's just you know, almost an irreverent understatement. But the fact of the matter is, it's the best thing that could happen to you. Not just because it gets rid of all that's bad about you, but because of what comes up. Because the cross doesn't bring just bring something to an end. The cross is where something else begins. So what ends up happening is, certain things come to an end at the cross, and you will never get them back. But certain things begin out from the cross that never could come to be had there not been a cross. So... Something gets done and put away, and something brand new happens. Now, I know, you know, here goes the Rolodex. Oh, yeah, I know that. Right. You know, old man dies. and Okay, but, but what about when it's the reputation that's gone at the cross and you never get it back? What about if it's your physical well-being that's gone at the cross and you never get that back? What if it's about, what if it's about your identity as a person and everything you like about yourself, and that goes away, and you never get that back? See, the cross deals with these things. What if it's friends? And you never get those friends back. Why am I saying this? Because the cross doesn't just deal with bad stuff. It deals with everything. Everything. And part of the discovery of a believer, part of the journey is learning all the ways that the cross has changed us. And it already happened, you see, but it works out in time and space through the course of our lives. So... And, you know, I know that there's verses that your, your mind's going to and the Holy Spirit is, is making things click in you too, but I'm sure you have read stories of people's lives or maybe it's happened to you um, or you've heard tell happen to somebody where horrible things happened to the person and it was totally unfair, totally unfair, like should not have happened. 
and it was mob scene and that guy got hung you know lynched or or crucified or however you want to put it and they came through it you know because it was metaphorical it wasn't physical and realized that as awful as it was and unbearable as it was had that not happened they would not have come out on the other side utterly changed with something old having gone away and something new having um, come forth and um, while the old would never be restored and gotten back in the same form what came out of it was so much better that it didn't matter this is a tangent but I'm just going to throw this out because um, I wasn't going to say this but just to consider this think about Job think about what happened to Job he lost all his kids in one day he lost all of his wealth immediately suddenly he lost his health suddenly and I think to say that God took it all away so he could give him the same thing, only better, is really unfeeling and rude. Because he lost kids. He didn't just lose his wallet. Oh, God took away that car so he gave you a better one. He took away his whole family. Did he get new children? Yeah. But does that, does that mean a parent, any parents in this room, you can you know answer this to yourself, does that mean that having lost your other children just doesn't matter anymore because God gave you better kids? No. So something about the cross is a little more than that. Can you? And I, I say this to say, some, it's, it's a little more than just, oh, he took the bad stuff away so we could have good stuff now. And I was bad, so he had to deal with me. And now I get everything great back because I did my time. The cross is more than this. This is the carnal mind's idea of the cross. Okay. But the cross really, really brings stuff to an end. He really does. It really does. And it really, really brings out something brand new that supersedes what gets brought to an end. This is the cross, okay? That's one aspect of the cross. It alters that person's being forever. Now, no matter who dies on a cross, any person, any Roman criminal dying on a cross, everything's altered forever, okay? Now, you talk about Jesus being on the cross, and it's the same thing. He is also changed by the cross. The cross is so destructive that nobody gets through it unscathed. Not even Jesus. Not even Jesus. Oh, but he was raised again. Yes, he was raised again. Okay? But like I said, we have this idea of a guy carrying a heavy sack of potatoes for us and straining his back. And somehow he's okay. He kind of sacrificed and his health a little bit, but he's okay now. But what I'm saying is when Jesus died, something came to an end. And when Jesus was raised up, it was not exactly... While his nature was the same, it wasn't the same Jesus in the sense of it's still Jesus of Nazareth. Okay. And I can prove it by his own words. Jesus said in John 12:24, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a grain of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abides alone. But if it die, it bears much fruit. Okay. Now, I'm sure many of you have heard this before if you've been around here at all, but I'm going to say it again. A seed has two parts. It has the husk on the outside and the germ on the inside the husk is a protective covering the germ has the life-giving element that will cause the little seed to grow into something else okay let's take an acorn for example i like an acorn because the the contrast between an acorn and a mature oak tree is so dramatic <laughs> if you want an oak tree you do not dig a deep, big ditch and throw in an oak tree. You dig a little hole and put in an acorn. And what comes out of that hole looks totally different 
than the acorn you put in that hole. As a matter of fact, if you wait a couple years before you dig up where you planted that acorn, that acorn will cease to have been. It will not be anymore. You will not find the acorn. You will find a trunk and a root system. Jesus called himself a seed. What went into the ground died on the cross. Okay? And what came up does not look like what went into the ground. It looks totally different. It has a different form. So when I say that Jesus really came to an end and died at the cross, he didn't just, it's not like a metaphorical death for us, like, oh, yeah, yeah, but he got up, so he's okay. Like, we kind of just skip over it because we know how it ends, so we think it's not so bad. He really did die. He really did, which means he came to an end. And if the father had changed his mind and decided he didn't like Jesus so much, he would have stayed in the grave forever because he was totally dependent upon the father for raising him from the dead. Jesus, again, this is another issue about the cross. I'm getting ahead of myself. You do not raise yourself. Romans 6 says that you are ra- that Jesus was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. Okay. So we know something about the cross. We know that it alters you forever, that you really do die. And that in Jesus' case, because he died, there's a resurrection. But even that's not exactly the same as what was lost. What was before the cross would never be again. Okay. And that is good news. I realize that when it happens to us, we do not always think that. But it really is good news. Okay. What happened at the cross is something is completely altered and will never be changed. What gets lost never comes back, but other things that come forth in resurrection never could have been had there not been not only a death, but a very specific kind of death. Because frankly, folks, people have been dying for centuries and nothing has been coming of it. Which brings us to my next point. It's not just any old death. When we talk about the cross, it's just not about death. It's a very specific death. Okay. I want to look at, just very, very quickly, um, Genesis chapter 3. If you would be so good as to turn there. I'm not going to read this whole thing. I'm I'm going to sum up and then read a verse. Genesis chapter 3 talks about the fall of man. That's Adam and Eve eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Following the following satanic suggestion and um, breaking with the Lord. Okay. This was pretty serious. It wasn't just like the issue was not the fruit. Okay, the issue was the heart condition that they chose to break with the Lord. And that opened them up to what? Death. Being away from the Lord. <laughs> so the problem that they inflicted on themselves in inflicting this problem on themselves, removed themselves from the very solution that they needed. What they needed (laughs) was God in that moment, but they had broken with God. So now we have a complete standoff. Okay, and this is what's happened, right? So to bring them back into fellowship, sort of, Genesis 3.21 says... For Adam also, and for his wife, did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothed them. I know, there were some skins growing on trees somewhere. He said, oh, there's some badger skins just lying on a tree. Those will do. No. What, where do you suppose those skins came from? Some poor, innocent animal who was just minding his own business 
grazing in the field, and someone comes along with a knife, or maybe God just struck him down. I don't know how it happened. But they lost their lives that day for Adam and Eve. Now, was that fair, those poor helpless animals? I don't think it was. <laughs> was that right? I mean, did they do anything to deserve that? No, they did not deserve it. They were not only undeserving, they were completely clueless. They didn't even understand what was going on. They just you know, got used. Uh, I think that in our own minds, how Adam and Eve handled it would have been better. They picked some leaves off a tree and covered themselves. But you see, man never figures the cross into his reckoning. It's never our solution, is it? There's always another solution. Now, I will say right now the cross is way more than a solution, but I'm just making a point. I want to make a point about what makes the cross the cross. What is the cross, okay? It's just a cross if you're dying for your own sins. But what is very, very specific to the cross that is central to us is that the person who should have died doesn't. And someone who doesn't deserve to die does. Now, I realize that we grow up saturated with this type of thinking. I realize that, but I want this to settle in, and I'm going to keep revisiting it through the term. It is very important to understand that it cannot be the cross unless somebody dies who isn't the person that's guilty. Everything that the Lord has for us rests on this. Everything. We never graduate past this very basic truth. And I know that it's so basic, and we teach it in children's church, and we tell it to new believers, and then we graduate on to more important things. I, I, realize, I realize the thinking. But I would like to just say, please let the Holy Spirit share with you how profound it is that he would base an entire new creation on somebody dying that didn't deserve it. The cross entails somebody else's death. Okay? So somebody dies. It's not the cross if somebody if, if you die for your sin. It's not the cross. What happens if you die for your sin? Anyone want to take a guess? That's it. Nothing happens. People for centuries have been dying for their own sins. They're in jail. They're under penal systems. They get drugged before a king or a jury or a judge. And they say, off with his head. And he pays for his sins. And it's all over. So if the Lord, see the Lord is in a quandary. Because if he makes us all pay for our own sins, there is no hope of anything ever happening. Because then it's really all over. And he has just pretty much shot himself in the foot as far as the eternal plan of God goes. Do you know how... um, tempting and easy it is to want to somehow make up for our own lack anyone ever know how much how that can press on you and be a weight that you want you need to make up for something that's not right okay i'm telling you that we can't even go into other things about the cross until this is settled jesus died for me that has to be so foundational that has to be so the hidden thing that no one even can see. That has to be the basis of how you come to him every single day. Not because it's legalistic and because, the, you know, some sort of denomination said so. I'm saying this has to be so burned into you that it becomes a part of you. Jesus died for me. 
There's nothing that I could do for myself. All I can do is watch. Now, if that isn't hard on some levels, is that not, if you know you're guilty, <laughs> I don't know, maybe some of you have been in this situation, maybe you haven't. Have you ever been in a situation where someone else took your penalty on, a, some, on something, where you know you deserve something and someone else took it and they did it? Maybe it wasn't just a scapegoat where it just got laid on them. Maybe they actually volunteered to take it for you and they took the rap or they, they took the fall for you. And there's nothing you can do but watch it all play out. That's really hard, okay? But basically, that's kind of what we're required to do as believers. We have to know that we should have died. And we have to know that someone else ended up dying, not by our choice, but by God's choice. The Lord decided it was going to be this way. And we have to watch that happen. Now, I don't know about you. But um, if I was probably in a situation like that, that was like really, if I was like in Jesus's day and somehow had some kind of mental grasp on what was going on, like really knew what was happening and watched that happen and knowing that should have been me, that will take you down a few notches in your own eyes, don't you think? Not necessarily in a bad way. I'm talking about in a good way. You come to some, you come to some conclusions about yourself in a hurry. And maybe you wouldn't think you were so hot anymore. Or maybe you wouldn't think... Um, your mess-ups were all that important anymore. <laughs> like, you know, you're not that, that great. No, you're not, you know, it's just, he's it. You know, that's it. I couldn't even help myself. But Jesus died for me is the beginning of everything. And we can't even understand things like the Lamb of God coming out of us and being conformed to the image of Christ until we understand the difference between who died and who didn't. Jesus died. You didn't. God does not want your death. He's not interested in it. It does not please him. Okay? And this is good. Because if you really went off, and if you really, and you know, we've had seasons in the church, in church history where it wasn't the, it wasn't the crossless Christ, it was the Christless cross. Okay? Everyone's taking up crosses and punishing themselves to death to beat their sins out of themselves. You know, nothing comes of that. But, you know, beating your sins out of yourself, and it may or may not get beaten out of you. That's not a sweet savor to him. Jesus died, and you didn't. The only thing you can do is see it and believe it. You can't do anything else. And that can put you in a very helpless position. That can feel very uncomfortable. If you really understand what I'm saying, that can be very uncomfortable, especially if you love Jesus and really want to do something for him. And all he's saying is, you come to him and say, what must I do to work the works of God? And he says, believe. (laughs) Okay. He's not asking for your sacrifice. He's not asking for your death. He's not asking for you in any way to somehow contribute to your redemption by behaving in a certain manner or flowing with a certain reality of his being, including Christ in you. Christ in you is not your redemption. It will never redeem you. Jesus died for you. And if you never let Jesus live out of you, he died for you just as much, and the price is just as paid. If you never, ever really learn much more past Jesus died for me, you will have gained the whole thing because everything comes from there. Okay? But it's his death and it's not yours. And it has to start there because if we do not let the the separation happen in our hearts, we will mingle. We will mingle elements of Christ and elements of the cross with ourselves and we'll think that we have to die in certain situations. 
And then we'll begin to think that being put in certain situations is because we're wrong and we're bad. And somehow we need the cross because we're bad. Never do we manifest the cross in a situation because we are bad. Ever. Jesus bore the cross because we were bad. If we manifest the cross in a situation, it's because we are a son of God shining forth God's glory in a situation. Never is it redemptive, punitive, or a punishment in any way, shape, or form. Jesus died for you. It is not the cross unless he is the one doing the dying. Okay? (laughs) This is so simple and so profound all at the same time. But it will free you. And it will, as it is built into you, it will give you the freedom to grow in Jesus in some of these other ways that you desire. Okay? To get this settled will not set you back. It will set you forward. You can't get anywhere until you let Jesus totally be the one who dies. Okay? And that makes you helpless. I realize that. But this is where you start. Okay? So the cross changes the dying one forever. They will never be the same. And the cross is where someone else does the dying, not the person who deserves the death. That's what makes up the cross, okay? And I know there's more than that, but that's where we're starting. Jesus, therefore, is the one who does the dying. He's the someone else. We don't die. He does. And I know. I know about being dead with Christ. We're not there yet. Someone's got to die for us to identify with the death. Jesus died. We didn't, okay, even though we deserved it. And Jesus is changed forever because of this death, because the cross death is a specific element to it in that it changes you. And what, what dies, dies forever and never comes back. Something else, something new comes forth. Okay. So this is where we're starting. This is why the cross is central because everything stopped. Everything that God didn't want died when Jesus died. And when Jesus came out from the tomb, it was a new creation and the cross was the beginning of it, the life of it. Everything that has to do with now things relating to both God and man together is entwined and with and bound up with the cross and will never be separated from it. Okay. There are many, many facets to the cross, not just the substitutionary work. And we're going to look at a whole bunch of them. And um, the cross in its work, redemptive and, redemptive and save, saving work, will sound through the church, but the crosses in nature and a way of life will also sound through the church. And we're going to look at both. I'm going to read you a verse, and you can turn here if you want. This is 1 Corinthians 1, 23 and 24. But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block and unto the Gentiles foolishness. But unto them who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Who? Jesus of Nazareth? No. The Jesus who died. Christ crucified, right? I'm going to write something on the board here for you. Everyone copy everything down off the board that you wanted to copy down? Yes? Okay. Well, 
want to look at the word crucified. You're right, this is the bad side of the board. Okay. Here's the word crucified. I'm no expert. I'll say that right up front. But language fascinates me because, you know, la- words change. Like, they, they change shapes and letters get switched around and stuff like that for different meanings. But basically, crucified means... Well, crossified. Crucified means crossified. Now, maybe you've thought of this before. It struck me the other day. Why does this matter? That crucified actually means crossified. Every time you see the word crucified... You can say crossified. Why does it matter? It's not just any old Jesus. It's the one who has borne the marks of the cross, the one who's been changed forever, the one who's been altered forever that will never go back to being what he was. Christ crucified. It's the one who died, but he didn't deserve to die, but he was picked by, chosen by God for this terrible and wonderful Um, life crossified the cross has altered the course of Jesus forever and it will do the same for you when you are crossified with Christ (laughs) right changed forever forever transformed you see Jesus never demands anything of us that hasn't happened to him and he's not asking you to be changed and putting something on you that hasn't happened to him. He was changed at the cross too. Okay, so you are with him in this, and he is with you. Okay, one more verse about the cross, and then I'm going to move on to talking about the cross. First <laughs> um, Peter three, eighteen. If I can find it. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. Okay, this verse just says in a nutshell everything that I have said over the last 45 minutes or so. Okay? He suffered for sins, the just for the unjust. That's the element of the cross. That is, that someone else other than the guilty party dies. Just like the animal skins. The animals didn't sin, but they're the ones who paid the price. Okay. okay, Jesus didn't sin, but he paid the price. He suffered for sins, the just, the sinless, for the unjust, the guilty, that he might bring us to God. And here we have the other aspect of the cross that I was talking about, being changed forever, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. Something ended and something began. A flesh-based relationship with Jesus ended and a spirit-based relationship with Jesus began. Something really came to an end, and something really started that was new. Okay, so this verse just kind of says everything that I've said so far. All right, so that's kind of our little intro to this class. Now I want to look at Revelation chapter 5, verse 6, and if you would please turn there, because I would like you to see it just to reinforce what I want to say. We've looked at the very beginning in Genesis chapter 3, What I shared with you there really wasn't the first aspect of the cross. 
the first time the cross is, is, is illustrated for us in the Bible, but it's probably the second, maybe. Anyway, maybe the third. But um, it's one of the first, nevertheless. Now we're going to look at one of the last books in the Bible, or actually the last book in the Bible, and we're going to see... Right in the middle of everything, the cross is still there. Not just at the very beginning of the history of man, but at the culmination of everything. Revelation 5, 6. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. Here we have the final revealing the culmination um, of spiritual reality here. And we have a scene in heaven, and we have Jesus seated on a throne. But he's not called Jesus. He's called the Lamb. But he's not just called the Lamb. He's called the Lamb as if it were slain. Okay? It is there at the beginning in Genesis, and it is there at the end in Revelation. And it is in every place in between. This is my little plug for the fact that the cross really is central. It is in every book of the Bible from the beginning to the end. It is found on the earth. It is found in heaven. Okay. We see um, the need for it in, the, in man's redemption as typified by the covering of the skins and Adam and Eve be clothed with animal skin. We see it in heaven where there's no more need for dealing with sin. He still hasn't gotten over his crucified form. It's important to never leave the cross. Even if you don't understand it fully. But never let anybody tell you that it's time to graduate past these things. This is baby stuff. Because the cross was not just Jesus died for me in the sense that, okay, we got that settled, now we can move on. The cross is your beginning. Okay, it's not just your way out of, you know, a bad situation between you and the Lord. It's your beginning in him. It's where you begin. Okay, it is where you come to be. There was no new creation before Jesus came out of the tomb. That's where you came to be. It is not only um, relative to you personally and your personal walk. It is also the revealing of a mysterious thing. What makes God tick? You will see Jesus. And when you do, you see him dying because that's his nature. That's, that's, who you're, that's how you're going to see him because that is who he is. Okay? If you want to know what makes the Lord or God be the way he is, the cross was in his heart before it came out and manifested. This was not some random act by God that one day he decided this is the way to do things. This is deliberate. It was planned on his part. And you are going to see that it's central if for no other reason than because it's working in his heart all the time. He didn't just do this because it had to be done. This is who he is. I want to look at a few verses now in closing that moves into this, just an understanding of where it comes from, where the cross comes from. Because if you just understand the cross as, okay, it's a tool and it's um, separate from everything else, it doesn't really make a lot of sense and doesn't give you a lot of frame of reference. I don't know about you, but I have a hard time just learning facts. And if I'm sitting in a class, let's say high school, and it's math, especially math, the teacher just said, okay, here's the formula. This is what you need to know. I can't retain it. I can't understand it. It makes no sense to me, and I cannot apply it. 
But if he explains to me why that formula works, why it, how that formula came to be, and how you get the achieved result, then I can remember. It's like, oh, this makes sense. It has a frame of reference. Okay. Well, the cross has a frame of reference. And you can understand the cross not by just looking at a bloody carcass on a cross. <laughs> That's not how you understand the cross. You understand the cross based on where it came from, why. Why? What was the purpose of it? Where it's going? And you get a frame of reference of some unseen variables, and the cross begins to make sense. Okay? And the Lord is very deliberate and very rational, might I say. And um, he's not just doing knee-jerk reactions here. There's actually, it actually came from somewhere. Um, we looked at how Adam and Eve were covered with animal skins after they had sinned. Let's look at Proverbs chapter 10, verse 12. I realize that I am going to a lot of places in the Bible today, and I don't usually do that, but I um, do want to share these things with you. Proverbs 10, verse 12. Anyone want to read that out loud? It's very short. Love covers all sins. Love covers sins until the patience runs out? No. Love covers not-so-bad sins, but really bad sins need to be exposed and lived down forever? Lived with forever? No. Love covers the sins of carnal Christians, but spiritual Christians ought to get taken to the woodshed when they sin? No. Love covers all sins. Except when we don't want someone to get away with murder and we want to make a point. Then love doesn't cover sin. No, love covers all sins. Well, we just saw Adam and Eve get covered, didn't we? With, with skins in Genesis chapter 3. What made God do that? Because he loved them. Now, I realize that in a certain sense, it's not fully accurate in the sense that your sins don't need to be covered because you're totally forgiven, and I get that, okay? But can we all agree that we all have certain areas in our life that still aren't quite right? And maybe a little covering would be nice. <laughs> you know, and maybe until it can all get dealt with and run out, we just don't want all our ugliness exposed to ridicule and humiliation by other people. Can we say amen to that? Would it be nice if the Lord would cover you and not just expose all your garbage to the four corners of the earth for everyone to write newspaper articles about and, and um, pick over like you're some kind of movie for a sarcastic, cynical movie reviewer? Would it be nice? Yes, it would be nice. And Jesus understands that, having never sinned, and loves you and covers all your sins. Now, I realize that we don't always cover each other's sins, but Jesus covers all sins, and he paid a price to do that. Love covers all sins. He's not up there going, okay, I'll cover it this week, but if you do this next week, I'm out of grace and patience. No, he covers all sins. What happened to the um, woman caught in the act of adultery? The unforgivable sin in the church world and in all Pharisee circles. Stoned. Caught in the act. She has to be stoned, made a public example of. Jesus said, I forgive you. Don't sin anymore. <gasps> what an offense. What an offense. What an offense the cross is unless you're the one needing the covering. <laughs> you're like, thank you, Jesus. But if you're an onlooker, it's offensive because you don't want people to get away with all that stuff. But love covers all sins. 
And we'll revisit this again when we're talking about Christ in us. But for now, Christ died for me, and he died for you, and he died to cover you. He didn't just die to forgive you. He died to cover you until things can be changed. Love covers all sins. This is the cross. This is a motive behind the cross. Looking out for you. Aware of human frailty. Realizing that the very mistakes we make are the very things that keep us from the solution that we need. (laughs) And choosing to go through something to make it not be like that. Okay? 1 John 3.16. It's another good one. By this perceive... Ooh, good word. By this perceive we the love... The words of God have been actually added. They're in italics in my Bible. By this perceive we the love, because he laid his life down for us. Okay, and I realize what the second half of the verse says. We're not talking about that right now. We need to get it settled that Jesus died for me. He did it because he wanted to. Okay? This is how we're going to understand the quality or the kind of love he has. You know, there are different kinds of love. If you've been in a relationship with someone that were real possessive, Oh, it's because I love you. But they're really like creepy, possessive. You know? Thanks. Don't want that kind of love. You know? Goodbye. Right? Um, there's different kinds of love. There's a mother's love. She can see, and you see it, you see it. I'm not making fun of mothers when I say this, but this is just a very interesting thing. You see it all the time. Some guy has like done some horrible thing, like shot up a bunch of people or robbed a bank. And the mothers, they interview the mother. And the mother is standing there in tears saying, he's really not a bad guy. He really is good deep down. So please be nice to him and don't give him the death penalty. He doesn't deserve it. Well, because moms, there's something in a mom that just stands by her offspring. She's just going to stick with them no matter what. That's a mother's love. <laughs> and now we can go into the you know contrast between that and Christ and that falls short. But at least, man, everyone says that, you know, you know, at least you got a mom that loves you. No one else loves you. you know, at least your mom loves you no matter how bad you get. You know, So there's something in a mother's love, but there's these different kinds of loves, and you can perceive there's a quality. This is what a mother's love is like. This is what a best friend's love is like. Well, this is God's love. If you're going to know what God's love is like, you look at the cross. By this perceive, that's not a physical seeing. That's the eyes of your heart being open, right? By this perceive, we the love of God, that he laid down his life for us. Okay. So profound, so simple. We can be so blind and see it all at the same time. It's just amazing. But my point here is that love motivated the cross. Okay. And you guys, I'm sure, have heard me share on it, but you love. Love is something you do because you want to, not because you have to. Okay. God didn't, Jesus didn't lay down his life at the cross because he wanted some really cool theology for us to just kind of bat around and talk about and find new things in the Bible. That was really cool. He did it because he wanted to. He did it because he put someone else in front of himself. He did it because he enjoys putting other people before himself. That's where the cross comes from. Let's see. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That does not mean for God so loved the world... Or for God loved the world so much that he gave his son. If you're going to translate it like that, it means he loves the world more than he loves Jesus. 
And that I seriously doubt. But if you translate it properly, which is, for God loves the world in this way, this is the manner with which God loves, that he takes what's dearest to him and gives it to you. That's love. And that is where the cross comes from. And that is what is central to every believer and to the whole church. Amen? Okay, we'll close out for today. Let's just um, close in prayer. Anyone want to close in prayer?